What's up, everybody? Uh, thanks for joining us. I know there was a special little treat in the Rosillo Show feed yesterday, and that was a Zach Lowe podcast that I was on. So I was a guest technically on my own podcast, but it wasn't really my own podcast. We have Timothy Simons from Veep, and I can't tell you how excited I am to do this. He's in studio with me. I'm looking at him right now. Um, so, Rudy, you're not going to hear from him a ton on this one, and we're not going to do any sports because if you need it, I have a full football one and dual threat. I did the Simmons pod, and I did a Zach Lowe one. I don't even have anything left to say about basketball this week. So there you go. I can uh, do like a bunch of garbage sports takes if you want me to. That we, we should. Yeah. yeah we should. We'll definitely <laughs> Just filter that. Actually, that is a great idea, but I have a lot of notes. I did a ton of research on this interview, <laughs> uh, but I want to make sure that you have your research down because when you're constantly on the go, grinding away at the office or hanging out with friends, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. That's why I love getting a new box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. These guys are out scouting for quality and unique products to send in each box. Now you can experience it too at boxofawesome.com. So Rudy has all the hair gels. He's got a fancy weekender bag because you know what? He's married and he can't just be bringing a gym bag for long weekends. We've been over this topic before. And some of you guys that hit home, that means you should change it. Get a better bag for the weekend. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that will best go with your style. Whether you're in search of the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet-setting its style, Bespoke Post improves your life one box at a time. So a lot of the guys flying privately that are listening to the podcast if you don't have good luggage, it's weird that you're flying private, but check it out. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. I know, Tim, you just want to jump in. I can see you're, you're so excited about this read. <laughs> the first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to change colors and sizes or add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags, the classy dop kits, bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. Here's the deal. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. Code Rosillo for 20% off your first box. Bespoke Post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. That read seems to get longer, but good for them. That was, I was going to just jump in. I didn't want to interrupt, but I yeah. was like, that was such a professional read. Hmm. A like, little, little hiccup, but a little, I'm a one little hiccup. If I had tried that, that would have been a nightmare. I mean, a nightmare. That was really. So, good. do you not remember your lines on Veep? Then, do you have to like, yell line every once in a while? Oh, for sure. But that I, I actually, I've always been protected by the fact that everything changes so much on that show. On that show, everything changes so much. It has also given me a lot of bad habits. In that, like on other jobs where I'm like that where they won't change the moment before you're going to say them, you'll show up and you're like, Oh, where's all the new stuff? And they're like, Oh no, it's just this. And it's going to stay this. So do you know this? And you're like, Oh no, I don't. <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to memorize this. I was now. supposed we, to memorize finalize this because there imagine there's a lot of ad living because you guys are also talented. There is there. We always do. I mean, like, especially because there is like a good relationship between the writers and the performers. And you don't want to like be the person that comes in is like, I wrote something better than you writers. Like, you know, like you want to honor what they did. If you have something that really bumps up against like a core sort of character thing, I usually try to bring that up. So like we usually, that is to say that like we usually always do what's written. And then once you get it up on your feet and you see it, like the cracks in it are exposed. And so then it changes there. But then also like we were, I I like, especially like Walsh and I, like we've been, we've been on the show so long that there were 
there have definitely been some periods of time where we've asked for forgiveness rather than permission yeah. in that way that it's like, I think I have an idea. I can either spend five minutes trying to explain it to you, why it might be funny, or I can just do it. And if you laugh, we keep it. And if you don't, it cost us nothing. You know, I'll just like try this bit in the middle of the scene. And then, but like, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there was a relationship built by that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's a little bit more trust there. Cause I, there's a lot more trust. Yeah. I'm always so impressed uh, with the show and I was a little late to it at first. You know, I always feel like when people get really excited about something and then they tell the other people, the people that haven't been on the train do this stupid like self punishment thing. Like, yeah. oh yeah, everybody's talking about Veep. Oh, I'm supposed to watch it. And it's like, or you could just watch it and like it because it's an awesome show. I think it's overwhelming. I, I do. When people tell me like I haven't caught up with it, I'm like, I get it. I get it. It seems overwhelming, not just our show, but like the amount of like good stuff that's out there. Like, like, what am I going to do? Get into another thing? Uh, yeah, I, but these I, are so fun. Like, I you do can keep up. You could miss it. You know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying like it's, I, what I love the most about the show is that, and I am very new to all of this, but you do such a great job of developing. Okay. Here's the overriding storyline. Mm -hmm. And I get that a lot of shows do it. Like it took two years for Parks and Rec to be like, hey, we're trying to build this park and fill in this pit. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the overriding storyline that, but it's really not as important as what we're doing each and every day to make this show funny. Yeah. And that's what I think is always so good about you guys is that you changed it so much, like episode to episode to be like, this is what the, you know, three acts will be in this little episode. But the overriding thing is still, you know, Selena, it's disastrous. Thing and I don't know. I mean, yeah. You obviously, could tell me a little bit more because you're the guy on the show. Well, no, there's like I do think like one thing that I, I do love about our show is that I don't I don't know if it's like if it's if it's I think it's bravery and I think it's both a little bit of bravery and stupidity that like Armando, who is our showrunner for the first four years, he we like the show blew up its own premise at the end of season two. I think, or the end of season three, it was all of a sudden, like, it, it's called Veep, and it's about a vice president, and it's supposed to be, it was, like, initially sort of about, you know, you're you're the second in command, but you have no power, you are the closest to the most power that anybody could have, and you are essentially worthless. And <laughs> and then at the end of season three, she's president, like, it blows up its own premise so early, uh, and I've always loved that about it, that, like, but but, yeah, in the back of it, whether she's... Whether she's the vice president or she's the president or she's out of politics, it has always been sort of laser focused on like this one narcissist and all of the people that enable it. And I do feel like, especially now, now that we're, to, we're now that we're sort of at the end of it, that looking back, it's like, oh, these were never good people this whole time. Like we made you like some really bad people. That makes me feel good. And you're probably the king of that. Probably the worst, probably the worst one of all of them. March 31st, HBO, that will be the premiere for the final season of Veep, the seventh season. So let's go backwards a little mm -hmm. bit before I, I want maybe some good stories out of you because I okay. can't imagine how good these stories are going to be. Um, or maybe you're a terrible storyteller, which would really surprise me. What point did you realize like this is what I want to do? You're, you're living up in New England. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, I'll be honest with you, your avatar, when you first were tweeting at me, I was like, who's this comedian that I don't, I don't, who is this guy? And I didn't know. And then finally somebody on Van Pelt show was like, you know, that's Jonah from Veep. And I'm like, no, it isn't. I'm like, it's a totally different guy. Cause the picture is what 
Is it when you when you're young? That one was actually just that one was not that was that was it even you? That one is me. I think if it's the one, but I never figured it out. And then I almost apologetically like, hey, I finally figured out who you are, and now I'm watching the show and like, oh my god, thank you so much for the years of questions about sports. Yeah, I never (laughs) respond like such a jerk about it. But what? What started this? What started the idea that, you know what, I'm going to go do some improv and whatever the normal plans are, that's not for me? I, I think I was always somebody that did, never wanted – I definitely was somebody that never really wanted a normal plan. I wasn't exactly sure what that was going to be. Um, but your like, parents always cool about it? Parents are always cool about it. My parents are – incredibly supportive of it but they they've like my dad was a photographer and he like built his own business as a photographer and like that's how he raised us he built a little studio onto our house and we grew up in a small town but he was able to like raise a family on a small business and that has a lot of challenges and that has like a lot of stuff you have to get through and it requires a lot of hours and um but but i so i think like using that as a model for this sort of thing like he was always really supportive and my and they were, and I didn't discover that I wanted to like be an actor until I was in college. So I think, and I was also like a really bad high school student. So I think wherever I was going to end up, as long as I was happy, they were like, look, this is a, this is a net win for us. Uh, like the fact that I went to college is all, if you would ask them my sophomore year of high school, they'd have been like, well, uh, um, you know, I found out that I wanted to do it when I was in college. I was having trouble making friends. I wanted to, I mean, like you're a New Englander. I don't know if you were like this, but I never wanted to do anything like, but get out of Maine. Like I was born there and I love it, but I always, I was, I always identified with cities. I wanted to get to cities. I just wanted stuff to be open past 7.30 PM. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so I ended up, what town was it? I grew up in Reedfield. So really? how far out are we talking? Like, is it? What's the closest city? Uh, Augusta is the closest city. We're like 25. And like Augusta is like a lot of state capitals. Like the state government is there and that is inherently sort of boring. Yeah. Like the old New England, like Montpelier is the same thing because all the time I spent in Vermont. Yeah. You don't. Nobody, I mean, it's a nice old historic town. But yeah. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, I got a sick condo and, you know, Montpelier. <laughs> nobody's like, you know, like I actually have like a high school friend who's like revitalizing like a lot of downtown Augusta. But also wow, like, how about that? like, that's cool. But also like, you're right. You guys are both working in government. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't know. Like I wanted to get out of Maine. Like I, I did. And I'm, I, I ended up at the University of Maine. I was not there for the acting program. There isn't really like a gigantic theater department, but there is one. And I found my way into some 10 minute plays because I was having trouble making friends. And I was like, I just need to get out of this. I was in like the, I was in the football dorm and I was not like, I was a little vegetarian, like idiot, want to be like, want to be like poet kid, like whatever sort of like, did they like you or not at all? No, I think I actually like, I so got you're like a weird poet vegan that could cross over before being vegan was even cool. Yes, wow. I was, I, I was a little bit like, but I was also a straight edge. So like, like I was not drinking. Oh, so you weren't drinking? I wasn't drinking. I didn't smoke weed. And so I did like, what was I going to do? And so I ended up just, I ended up finding my way into like, that didn't last very long. It lasts, I think it like, uh, uh, I made it through my whole freshman year being like, I'm never going to do that. And then that all went by the wayside. I have no <laughs> values. Can I swear on this? Yeah, we can bleep it. All right, cool. Um, it's a Disney I have product. no backbone. Uh, so I used to think that the kids that would show up to college, like who would, there was this one kid that we knew. I'm not even going to say the gender on this. Mm-hmm. And the person had made some sort of pact with a parent 
that they weren't. So that person was just sober around everything that was going on for a year. And then they were like, I don't care what this pact is. This is brutal. Now, the thing is, is when that person came back and started pounding beers, it was way worse because it was just like, you know, you hadn't gone through the weird high school, you know, barn fires or whatever, you know, like. I know I should have said bonfire, but there's some barns involved in parties too in high school. Uh, no, I had the same thing. Like when I came back, I like did, I did all the dumb shit that you should have done in high school. I did it then. Yeah. And I did actually, there was like this whole little subset of like straight edge kids that I knew that eventually they just all would like be on acid and show you their straight edge <laughs> tattoos. There isn't a lot to do up there other than hallucinogens. So like you just kind of end up there. Um, but I just like once I got, once I got into it, like once I like did like a 10 minute play and then like, I think I was in like three of them my first semester. And then I did like some 20 minute plays and I think I was in two of those and they went well. And like, again, we were kind of joking about this before we started. Like I am like, I'm in this for a reason that is because like I, there was like a deep well of attention that I need positive or negative. And there was like positive attention for that. And I was like, cool, this is my. And so, uh, so by the time I came back my second semester, fully bitten by like the theater bug and was a had switched my major to to performing arts, and I was just kind of off to the races, and it's all I wanted to do. So now you what do you go out to Chicago after that, or yeah. I went through school. I my first job was I was interning at a children's theater in Kentucky. Um, uh, the it's still there. Uh, the Kentucky uh, the Lexington Children's Theater they're still there. Uh, Larry and Viv are still running it. They're awesome. They're wonderful people. Um, but while I was there, I learned that I didn't necessarily like fit in, nor did I want to live in the South. And uh, I also did realize like my goal was to do theater. And I just also, but I also was like, I want to go find a home base. Like I, I'm, I know I might end up in New York or Los Angeles eventually, but I wanted a home base and the place where they created new plays and workshop new plays and did interesting stuff was in Chicago. Like if you go to like the the front page of any like Sam French playbook, it always has like the original cast of that show and it was always like developed in Chicago before it went to Broadway and like that's kind of what I wanted to do. I only know from researching the bunch of different stuff that I uh -huh. researched which I can't wait to get to some of the uh -huh. odd jobs in LA. Yeah. But and also just how many freaking interviews are you going to do where people fascinate they're just fascinated by like, "Oh, Timothy though." Like, jeez, some of these L.A. news shows, when I moved out here, I'm like, these are the real shows. This isn't a skit. <laughs> like, this is really <laughs> – I watched one of them. Like, I was watching all this stuff. I watched the guy who video like, did a Skype thing with you from Australia that was – it's out there. It's like 30-something minutes long. It was so yeah. long. Oh, you're really polite. No, that is that is actually a website that's incredibly important. So you were like, this is a good get. Yeah, it's a good get. Like, yeah, I'm in. Australian yeah. Skype, please. So so whenever I, I hear about this like Chicago movement of all mm -hmm. these communities, guys that are older than us that we yeah. all kind of grew up watching in that they had Conan on his Conan Needs a Friend podcast. They had Will Ferrell on. Yeah. And they just ripped some of the improv stuff, not because it wasn't like a great place to learn, but they were just going like – Oh, hey, and Farrell has this great line where he basically says, yeah, they they kind of keep you at a certain level. And they're like, hey, you're not funny enough. We'll keep you at this level. And it's like, so you're paying your dues 
an extra, and then, then we'll move you up to tier two and all this stuff. And it's just, it seems like it kind of works for all the people that we hear from that move on past that. But that must have been grueling and incredibly competitive. You know, I when I was in Chicago, just sort of being a... You're like, I, no, it was easy. I killed it. No, I, I actually, like, I had a complete, like, I'm a, con- this, you're going to have to bleed me again, but like, I'm a contrarian f- so when I moved to Chicago, I moved for the indie, like the indie storefront theater community. And the, I took one class at Second City and it was only because my agent at the time was like, you're in Chicago and you're interested in comedy in a, in a, in a royal sense. You need to have Second City on your resume. And I was like, get out of here. And finally he, but you me. had an agent at this point too. Yeah. It was like a small age. Like right. there are agents in Chicago, but, but they, so somebody was willing to rep you though, without really yeah. having much going on. Yeah. But that's sort of a lot of Chicago. Like okay. you get like young, and they all know that they're going to be left behind if anybody really makes it. Yeah. Oh, and the man, the dude that I was with was so every, I mean, like they get so pick, bummed out, pick a big, pick a big, like, uh, like comedian from, Chicago that's made it like name one and he was left behind by that person huh yeah I was just I was trying to think of somebody oh who did you say Margaret Cho so (laughs) so anyway uh no so like so I was out there I wasn't doing comedy like I wasn't doing the sort of like competitive second city well there's no stand-up is like did you ever do stand-up no I love watching stand-up I have no interest in performing it I love when people introduce you a lot of times you're like comedian and I go you know I don't know that I've ever seen anything and then I went looking for it all and it doesn't exist because there isn't any no it there isn't any I think and there's also like I mean I sort of like use I use comedian in that in like a I think a different sense like when I say like I'm a comedian like i use that in a different sense meaning that like ultimately i view the world through that lens like whatever i'm going to analyze whatever i'm going to get to is i'm going to use humor as a tool but like i've never done stand-up i I love sketch comedy i love watching it i have never had any uh i've never had any urge to perform it so i never did second city i never did improv olympic uh it was never really my goal to do it i was just i wanted to be in weird small plays and whatever characters I play, I just always like humor was always going to be a part of it. That was always going to be like inherent to the person that I was playing. Comedy was going to be a part of it. So what's your favorite role that you had then back then? Back then there like the, the big ones I can remember, like there was um, there were two shows that both with this company called The Hypocrites that was out of Chicago. And like the it was like one of them was like the first big show that I've been cast in. And big means like really small. But they were like a great company. And the guy that ran them was a guy named Sean Graney. He was a really talented director and writer. And so he he wrote this adaptation of um of the like Camille and like of the story of Camille and the opera La Traviata. And it like took place inside the human body and it wasn't and like, and it like, you know, like part of the set was bones and, and, uh, so this uh, isn't rent this is no, no, no. And like, and it was like a modern adaptation of it that like used like reworkings of the music from the opera in the show. And it had an opera singer in it, but like, like there was a guy I I um I I think his name was Gaston like I it was just sort of like a man it's been so long I can't even I can't even remember the details of that one 
my God, I just realized in this moment that I'm much older than I was then. I used to know every single little bit about this. But like, like that was a person who like was sort of tragically funny and sort of had like a, an, like a, this sort of downfall as he got further into the world of like courtesans and, and sort of houses of ill repute or whatever. He was a, somebody that was very funny, but had a sort of downward spiral in this, in this world. Um, but again, side character in that, in that play. Um, there's another one of, they're all really weird. There was one that I was in called the fourth graders present an unnamed love suicide. And it's about, uh, like a uplifting, very uplifting show about a fourth grader who commits suicide and leaves a play as his suicide note. And then unseen administrators and teachers make the other children in his class perform the play. And so that's what you're watching is these uncomfortable fourth graders performing a play that their friend wrote before he killed himself. And it's, but it's weird and it was funny and like, I was, I saw a performance of it before I was in it. And it's one of the best things I've ever seen. But that's cast by adults playing the elementary school. But it's, schoolers. yeah, all adults playing the elementary schoolers. Like, here's a bunch of nine year olds. Yes. Um, okay, so it was so, all weird. It so, wasn't. So then what did you feel like? I'm just happy. I'm content. Like, cause whenever I think about like different people and how they're wired and all these things, like sometimes having lesser expectations for yourself is the path to happiness. And you go, you know, I don't really know, but like to think of what you are now. Did you go, hey, I'm still going out to L.A. to try to kill this thing because I can do it? Like, where are you at at that stage? At that stage, like when I was doing the oh, you know what? When I was doing that first show that I was talking about, it was like I had just moved to Chicago and I was really happy at that at that place. Like I, would, I, had, I had moved in and this was like a great company. I still am friends with those people that were in that show. Uh, we were on a softball team together. It was great. By the time I did that other show, which had initially gone up in Chicago and I was in a production of it that went to New York, that went to New York City for like four, three weeks or four weeks. By that point, I had made the decision to move to Los Angeles. And, and there was that thing that like, like, I don't know, like, I feel like I am somebody that doesn't want to deny that they have ambition. I, I like, I do have ambition for these things, but I, it, I don't feel like it's all consuming and a negative thing. I, um, so like, yeah, about three years into being in Chicago, I was like, I had had like a little bit of luck with some, like I booked a Kentucky fried chicken commercial and I was like, look at me, look at, look at your boy. <laughs> and man, <laughs> what the, were you doing in it? I like, I was, I don't know. There, I was the wingmaster. I had like a guy who had sense. eaten a bunch of wings, but then some other guy sits down and like eats, I don't know. I think I was dethroned as the wingmaster. And, but man, that first check came in and I was like, I quit every job I had, which was like three jobs. I quit all of them. How much was the check for? That first one that came in was for like $3,000. And I was like, <laughs> I'm the richest man that's ever lived. <laughs> ever. I don't even like chicken. I don't even know. I was a vegetarian. <laughs> And I just was using a spit bucket. Again, I have no backbone. I'm like, look at, look at how easy it was for me to just like get rid of any morality that I had. $3,000. But I don't even think that's morality. I, you know, I mean, what, you look, yeah. you're an actor and here's a chicken ad. Yeah. So, great. I just think it's funny that you quit everything for $3,000. It's like, it you was, didn't have high aspirations. In retrospect, it was a terrible idea because like three months later, the checks had stopped coming in and I kind of had to like hat in hand go back and ask for all those jobs back. And luckily they were all like, you, dumb you dumb fine um but no like so i had had some luck and i i essentially i saw that there was a living to be made doing that and i had grown up in maine i had moved to chicago and i love chicago but i i was like i'm just ready i'm ready to not 
spend nine months of my life depressed in the winter. Like I'm ready for that. It's a tough winter. It's, it's tough a tough winter. winter. And it's coming from guys that have been in tough winters and Chicago's just kind of a different kind of soul crushing winter. It, it, it just is. It just is a different thing. And I don't know if it's like when you're in Maine, like you're just not out in it as much or if you are, it's like, Oh, we went cross country. It's something with the city. I swear to God, it's the way the buildings are aligned. Cause I remember being in Montreal once leaving a Canadians game when I was younger and I've been living in Burlington, which is mm-hmm. basically near the border. And I remember being in Montreal one night and we were out after the game and it's just got the kind of wind that makes you go like, if I die, I'll be okay. Yeah. Dead because yeah. it just, in Chicago, I've had a couple of moments where I'm cackling, laughing. I just watering going. I, I'm laughing because I know it's over soon, but the concept of like, this is how my routine is every single day. Yeah. So, okay. How old are you? We've been over the weather, so I don't, I don't need a ton of that. Yeah. How old are you when you get out here to LA? Me, man. I was 30 years old. So Third. I did, I did, I, I do want to tell you, I did, if you're like a young actor and you're listening to this, I did all of this the wrong way. And if somebody tells you they know the right way to do it, they're super dumb and don't listen to them. But and by I did, the way, take this wherever you think we need to. Like okay. I can, I can host and all, but if I, if I'm skipping over great stories or that kind of stuff, like I just, I'm interested in you. I, I know that this is how I like to do the interviews, but I'm, I'm down for anything if i'm screwing up something no 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 I'll, I'll run back and hit something i think if something comes up i think mostly just like in that three years between when i decided to move to la and when i actually did i just got drunk a bunch but i also met my wife it's awesome and so we got married and i moved out to la when i was 30 but also in that period of time is I she remember, from the midwest she is she grew yeah. up outside of chicago smart guy smart <laughs> i don't know what it is man uh so like i mean i moved out here and i didn't even have like the agent that I was with had told me I was doing it all wrong. He was like, you have to move out there with a the job. There's no other reason to go. Like he wouldn't, e- he wouldn't even put in a phone call for me to like a commercial agent out here. Not even like a bad commercial agent would he put in a phone call. And that's me. what you're thinking of at this point. Like I'm the chicken guy. I'm going to, you know, yeah. do some ads. I'm going to go out there and right. like, by that point I was like, man, I had sort of like, I had, I didn't, I think I booked like one other thing for like the White Sox like two years later, but I was like, oh man, this is great. It's all just going to start rolling. I'm hot. I'm hot. It was not hot was not hot at all and would continue to not be hot for like five years or six years. In LA. In, in Chicago. In Chicago. Oh, oh, okay. So then I was like, I just need to change. I'm moving out. And he was like, that's a dumb idea. And I was like, I don't care what you say. And um so I came out here. Uh I didn't really know anybody. I didn't have any hookups to an agency. I had no job. I, I had like not even like a day job. Um, but my wife was a teacher and she had found a teaching or still is a teacher and had found a teaching job out here. And we just, we just kind of like, we just loaded up the truck, man. We just loaded up the truck and drove out. Yeah. So tell me. Oh, about- I had literally never been to Los Angeles. Oh, you never even been the here. first time I saw Los Angeles, move we moved to uh silver Lake and still live there because everybody we knew from Chicago that lived there, that lived in LA was in silver. Lake. all of our friends that had moved out were there. Did you really serve chicken fingers at Kurt Cobain's daughter's 16th birthday? That is 100% true. What was that like? It was, it was. These are the jobs you were taking before you picked up anything. Yeah. So I had, like, I actually, um, being a contrarian, when I got out here, I had started, um, uh, I like, I started like not like nobody thinks like, Oh, Los Angeles, like Los Angeles isn't the improv scene that you think about. You think about Chicago. So I started taking improv classes when I got out here, of course. And I went through UCB's program and like sort of while I was doing that, I had met, um, 
this actually was going to segue into another job, but I'm going to talk about the one you asked me about first. So I got a job. I was working at the House of Blues in Chicago as a bartender. I came to L.A. and was like, I'd love to be a bartender. And they were like, you're joking. So you get to be on the cater waiter staff here. Uh, and it, we were just like the redheaded step chi- children of that place, which I think is now closed. And, and one of the jobs that we had to work was, uh, was Francis Bean Cobain's 16th birthday party. Uh, and, uh, they had, uh, like Courtney Love was there. She's wandering around. I was like filling in like the, you know, like the chafing trays of chicken fingers for like a bunch of Los Angeles 16 year olds. And, um, you're, a, I mean, you got no one. Is you're just chicken finger guy, right? Like you're not interacting with anyone. No, right? no, you're no, not no. Supposed to. I know you're not really supposed to. And honestly, at that point, you don't care to. Like you're just trying to get in and get out. Like how much watch- did you hate it, or were you kind of like, hey, I'm out in L.A., I'm doing my thing, or I'm like, this sucks. It sucked. It sucked, but I was like, but again, this is like a, th- this is like, this is a step toward a goal. Like I'm yeah, right. really gonna hate this in a while, but like. You know, we we moved out here and our rent went up significantly. Mm-hmm. Our bills went up significantly. And I also moved out here in July of 2008. So the, um, for those listening at home, the world economy had crashed. So even sitting there, I was just happy that there was money coming in the door. There was that thing of like the bloody mindedness of like money needs to come in the front door of this house because I moved me and my wife here. So... Uh, so it like the weirdest thing was, is that they like, so we had to go in like two hours early and we all had to get our faces painted like zombies. So like, I did I ever show you that picture? No. I'll see if I can find it. We like full white makeup, like dark, like, like, like dark black, like uh, all around your eyes and like blood dripping out of your mouth. So I had to like, so again. <laughs> It's not that you're just serving chicken. It's fingers, not that you're right. just serving yeah, chicken fingers to 15 and 16 year olds who are way wealthier than you will ever be in your life. You are also in face paint. And there were people who had been hired to do full on makeup, like full, like prosthetic witch makeup and full prosthetic zombie makeup that were like, so there was a witch. There was, it was an eighties glam rocker. But there were like five characters that wandered throughout the party and one of them was a dead rock star, which I just thought was a little tone deaf. It sounds like it was Courtney Love's party more than it was the I kids. think it may have yeah. been. And like Francis, I don't, I've never met her. I didn't right. meet her that night. She might be a lovely person. Probably subscribe to the pod. Like, oh yeah, huge fan, huge fan. Like she likes, uh, the SVP days a little more, but she's, you know, like. She's always been more of an SVP. <laughs> <laughs> I get that though. I never, you know. But like it did sound a little bit more like Courtney's party, but man, like there were just a bunch of jobs where I'm like, oh, this job only exists in Los Angeles. This thing I worked the, this is the thing I was going to tell you about, which is I worked with, um, I worked with a, a woman that I had met doing improv. She was like, you know, some friends of mine are running like a photo booth at a Simpsons party. Like, do you, it's like 150 bucks. Um, you just have to show up. And I was like, okay. And what we ended up, what I ended up being was, at the the 30th anniversary of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror celebration, because it was the 30th year they were doing the Treehouse of Horror, they had this big party at the Santa Monica Airport. They rented out a hangar. There was I've a been yellow at that hangar. You've I saw been ludicrous there. Yeah. You did? Yeah. How was that show? Yeah, it wasn't Ludacris's best show. Okay. <laughs> Luda was off that night. I think it was the crowd more than Luda. Though. I mean, you know, oh, it's never yeah. Luda's fault. No, it's no. never Luda's fault. 
So we, there is a photo booth where if you were like an attendee, you got to like, you know, put on the big crazy, like you see it at all the weddings, you put on the scarf and the big crazy yeah, glasses. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like your photo arriving at the yellow carpet of the, uh, of the, uh, treehouse of horror party. And w- me and these other four people were, uh, like the paparazzi in the photo taking pictures of you because you're famous and you're showing up so here is we had like fake cameras and like do you know what i mean like we were basically human props playing paparazzi taking pictures of the people how long was that shift uh, i was probably five six hours they wrote there were enough that we got to like take little breaks but there were also two i this is all coming down to that i got molested by lisa simpson in that there were like the two there were two like dressed up characters. There was a Bart and a Lisa and I was sort of kneeling down. And if somebody that is listening to this has pictures from that night, you're going to see me in the picture as a photographer and Lisa Simpson might be there. And whoever was in that suit was rubbing, kept like rubbing my back and kept like sort of drifting down, like sort of like, you know, when like, you know, when like it like dudes in bars will like, excuse me, excuse me. And they like put a hand like way too low on a girl's hip to like get him to move. And it's like, dip man, just like maybe pull back on that. It was that thing. There was nothing ever super overt. And every time I would turn to like, kind of like brush their hand off, I would look up and the head would be looking straight at me. So it was like these kinds of jobs that I had to do. Like serving chicken fingers to Francis Bean Cobain or getting molested by Lisa Simpson for $150 at a party that I just wish I could go to. You must have looked good, though, in your your paparazzi flight suit. I I mean, that like, must have been it. You're tall. So, you know, I, I mean, like, I think I was just wearing all black and we were turned away from the camera like you really only saw the back of our heads. <laughs> so um before I jump to the rest of this, because yeah. I know that. I want to get to some of the sports things, but I also want to make sure I don't. Oh my god, my garbage sports takes. Why do you have a teaser for me right now? Do you have a greedy tease? Um, uh, We can talk. We can definitely talk about the fact that I have a friend who got me into sports gambling, which is the worst idea. Are you still in on it? I'm still in on it, but man, I had to take a little break. All right. Well, that's hey. That means you're you're just getting seasoned now. That's all. All right. More with Timothy Simons here in a second. Weddings can have 99 problems, but the groom's look shouldn't be one of them. That's why our friends at theblacktux.com design rental suits and tuxedos that you love wearing at your wedding. So if you end up getting featured on a list of 23 epic wedding fails for your reception table catching on fire, your DJ playing, let's get it on during the father daughter dance. At least you know you'll look good for your close-up. What I really love about the Black Tux is they have the easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country. I just at the one in Santa Monica this past summer where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding, so this way you get to check it out one last time. Do I look hot? Yes, I do. Over 5,000 five-star reviews across Wedding Wire. The Knot and their website agree. You won't find a rental experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, rent your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy $20 off of the code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's theblacktux.com, code Ryan, for $20 off your purchase, the Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So what happens? How does I got it... in your head on that. I got in your um, head. Yeah, you yeah. did a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I'll just, I'll, I'll just ad lib something about like a, 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 like a microfiber mattress company. I'll yeah. just like do it. Theranos two. 
Huh? <laughs> Just be like, hey, if your mini one-drop blood invention didn't work, <laughs> have you tried Theranos 2? <laughs> We've got it down. We just need about $500 million, and I'm going to have a sick pad in Palo Alto and a bulletproof car. But don't worry about that. That's just for security purposes. Check us out, Theranos2.com. Um, so oh, how does how does it go ahead? One quick thing. Yeah. A woman who ended up playing Lee on our show, her name is Jessie Ennis. She's a really, really funny uh, young actress. Uh, she was she talked her way into uh, Francis Bean Cobain's 16th birthday party. So like while we were on set, I can't remember how we started talking about it. But at some point she was like, oh, my God, I was at that party. I think I had to talk my way into it. That's a weird party to talk your way into. I know. Well, I mean, she was like 16. She was like really young. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah. She All right. was like a really young kid. She was just like a high school kid when she was on our show. I Wait think minute, she had just graduated from college. Is is Lee the one that's always going back and forth with Dan? No, who's uh, no, th- no? That's she that's played. Amy. Yeah, she played a young staffer that gets fired. I think in season two, okay. she ends up being like she and oh, and she comes. Yeah, no, I remember her. Yeah, I just she was in the hill. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. The Arm. I have not seen that movie. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. No, I was a big. Uh, was big. Well, see, I always feel weird. I don't want to say this around you guys because I really liked Amy. Brooks, that character was it Anna? Oh, oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But she was she was awesome with Dan because it's a really good dynamic. Like everybody's the, always trying to find like the perfect love story that everybody's rooting for, uh-huh. and you don't really root for either one of them. It's the yeah. opposite of it. It's the, which is what I think is so great about the show. You look, you look, you you want to you want to see them together, but you don't want to see them get together. There's actually going to be a bunch of the two of them together this year, uh, especially at the beginning because sort of at the end of last season, there's a pregnancy. Oh no. Yeah. Do you Are, get blamed for it? No. Like she is like she's like it's yours. That's sort of like one of the very last moments of last season. So like there is like you kind of come in fresh and hot on that right at the beginning of this year. Um so what what's it like then to go through I guess cuz I still, you know, I I have kind of a timed out in my head here, but I want to get to you're doing what a lot of people are doing. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that might be all they end up doing. And then it just sort of breaks. I mean, we can talk about the Abraham Lincoln Geico ad and all that stuff. Yeah. But, but how does it go from that in the amount of time that it goes to, hey, guess what? I just did this audition and I read about your audition where you just kind of obsessed over, what is it? Armando's stuff? Armando's, yeah. Arm, Armando's stuff. You yeah. were just like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail this. I'm gonna nail this. I'm gonna, like it just it feels like it probably takes forever but then when it happens it feels like it happens so fast. It did. I mean like I think like the like the time between the first audition and the callback was probably it was at least a month and a half possibly 2 months. So by the time I actually then found out that I was going to go back in and actually audition for him it had probably been 2 months. And I didn't have any experience. This is also like this is the first time I have ever auditioned for like a series regular on a television show. It is a completely foreign thing. And and so it does, like it does happen really fast. Uh, cause then I go in and I'm, I'm in like a producer session, which is like sort of still at the casting director's office. And then three days later, I found out, or, or like later that day or the next day, I found out I was like moving on and to the actual test at the network where you go to like the HBO headquarters and you're in a, you're in a conference room with all the other, I was there with two other guys that were testing for Jonah. I was there with everybody that like two guys that are testing for Mike, two guys that are testing for Gary. And that's three days later. I found out 45 minutes later that I was cast on it. And then 
Are you serious? So yeah. 45 minutes after going in this and you're looking at your competition waiting. You well, uh, 45 minutes after I left. I had it Yeah, was, well, right, right. It was 45 minutes home. I basically got out of my car and my friend who was working at the casting office called me and let me know. But yeah, like it that What's all happened. feel like? Huh? What's that moment feel like? I have I I don't know if it's a New England sort of taciturn thing. But I think I've always thought you think these moments are going to feel like big moments, but really like, at least for me, I have trouble processing these things. And so I, I just was like, cool. Like, that's great. Wow. That's really like, that's really exciting. But I feel like I had all the, like at what you are hearing right now of me being like, that's really exciting is about as much as I put into it. It's, it's sort of like, it's really hard to describe it. It's it's so overwhelming that I just kind of I'm like okay cool I think I'm okay what do I need to do I need okay I should call my I should call Annie let her know call my family I'm gonna go get a sandwich I'm gonna go get a sandwich I'm gonna take that sandwich to Annie's work and I'm just and like it was all very quiet it was just very quiet other people very excited but for me it was just very quiet and sort of introspective and over and fully overwhelming and I went to like my favorite uh, sandwich spot in the neighborhood i asked my wife if she wanted me to pick her up anything i was like hey i got cast on this show do you want me to get you anything from the store basically is but does she not know or i i feel like now you know sitting here as you explain that it wouldn't have mattered what the show was that would be the reaction but i also think like it's hbo anybody out here that's doing anything creatively when you're talking series it's like oh i see it on hbo i think that's every everybody i talk like oh this yeah but did you understand the magnitude of it because then you know, it's okay. It's one thing to be cast. It's one thing for let's see how many seasons have been picked up here. But this is a real thing. It's it's one of the best shows HBO's ever had. I think at that time I didn't. I was try. I was. I was trying not to think of it in that context, especially after I met. Like a few weeks later, I got together. Maybe like sort of after the New Year, because this was at the very end of December, right before, right before uh, like the Christmas holiday. Uh, like in January, I got together with Tony Hale and like. Even at the time I was trying to do this and he sort of helped, like we sat down and had lunch. He was like, I know this is the first thing you've ever done. Like if you want to get together and have lunch, let me know. We can talk about it. And of course I took him up on that. And he was like, one thing I know is that every pilot I've ever been on, when you leave the set, everybody's like, this is a definitely going to happen. This is going to go. It's perfect. It's so funny. And he's like, I have been on seven pilots and one of them has gone and one of the or like two of them have gone one of them has gotten canceled after four episodes and the others didn't go he's like but every single set you leave they are going to be like this is guaranteed and so <laughs> by the way the only thing that i've ever been out to to pitch was something like three years ago uh-huh. and i ended up not having anything to do with the pitch it was something i was part of and then yeah it was like you're not going to talk i was like okay that seems weird that's I, that I do, seems weird i was like i do talking a lot yeah. And I'll never forget, like, I listened on a conference call to a, a pitch run through and I was in my house in Connecticut listening to it and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And then the guy got done and everybody started clapping in the room oh, and I went no. and I thought it was one of the worst things I'd ever heard. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do with this business. I was like, are you like, and then people were like clapping going, this is definitely going to get sold. This is wow, my get God. Sold. We went over 14. Oh my god! You over fourteen? I was sitting in my house by myself, like just gotten out of the gym. Also, and I'm going, 
I'm thinking, that was good? That was what? Like, that was awesome? But you know what it was? It was all agents. It was all agents clapping for their clients, saying how amazing it was. You know, honestly, man, I feel like that's a disservice. I feel like that's a disservice. Oh, no, it's na- it was nasty. It was a nasty thing to do. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. And it also made me get on a plane and come out here and be like, if I'm ever going to fail, I'm in a, I will, I'll fail. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. Were you ever. in the room for those 14? Uh, I was on, I was in the room. I flew out here. I did 10 in five days. Oh my god! And then I did, um, and I look. I loved it though. I oh, loved, it's it's I, I fun. Like it's exhausting watching it not go well. But I loved the deal of okay, this is my day, and here are the two meetings. And then I did four in a conference call back back in the East Coast because I kept being like, should I fly back out? But it's, I mean, you saying that is hysterical because you end up leaving some places and you think they're going to have a check waiting for you when you leave the lobby. Yeah, and then you'll call your agent and you go. Well, those guys are in. They're like, actually, they hated it more than the other nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I am fully admitting, like, I couldn't be, you know, I've had one to two experiences on it. And it just made me go, okay, that went terrible, but I can't wait to do this for real. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. That was kind of what it, so it didn't even, doesn't even, even though it bothered me, there's things that bother me, like, l- linger. This is not a, this is a, okay. Like, this is how it's done, and I can't, like, let's actually really do this instead your, of pretend. Your instinct that's weird, I think, is right. For you to be in the room as a, one of the creatives and not talking, that's, like, your instinct that that's well, weird. Well, I had a couple people right. from a couple different networks after the fact say, hey, I know who you are, and I've listened to you for a long time. Why didn't you talk? Why didn't you talk? And, and like, I get also, like, especially for me, like, I, I don't have experience in a lot of this stuff and still don't. There's still new shit that I find every time I go out into something. I, I would trust the voices around me to be like, all right, cool, we're going to do it this way because it just feels like... But that's what I was doing because yeah, I was no, like, absolutely. look, it's not my I, thing. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm yeah. that way with the sports thing, but I'm not going to be that way here. And it was funny, too, because a couple other people were like, say, hey, so-and-so from HBO or so-and-so from something like followed up with me privately. Like, I should probably keep that relationship going. And they were like, no, don't. It looks unprofessional. And I went, what, really? Like having an awesome contact from a guy that knows who I am at a big-time place? And then I realized, wait a minute. I'm like, now I know what's going on. Yeah. Okay, all right. So you're on Veep. Yeah. It's and- all very overwhelming. And yeah, I think I tried, I in my mind, I tried as hard as I could to, like, yes, it's HBO and it's Armando and it's Julia, but I had seen, I had heard enough stories by the time we started filming and I had seen enough things kind of come and go that, like, even HBO shows that, like, you'd think, like, oh my God, like, look at the murderer's row of people that they have on that, on, on that show. Uh, like the pilot gets made and doesn't get picked up like that had happened. So I was in my mind, like trying to compartmentalize it to like a very small thing that was, that my brain could manage. Does that make sense? Like if I let it get, if I, no, if it makes I, all the sense in the yeah. world. So that's what I was trying to do. That's sort of now, how I coped. Did you know? Cause the thing is, is, is Jonah, like it's almost so successful. I'm worried about you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's like, oh, he's that guy. You know, even when people don't know Veep, they're like, oh, like the, the guy. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Where it's okay. Not only am I on the show, and the show's going to work out. Like, I'm actually maybe the funniest character on this. And there's so many different voices on the show, which is always kind of a hard thing to write for. Yeah, it's like make sure everybody gets their lines. Let's make sure everybody gets to do the fun stuff, but it still revolves around Selena. It just. I don't know, man. It's, 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 just go ahead and finish my thought because I don't know the right way to ask it. No, I think there's a part of it like that. If this was, if this was 
15 years ago, I think I'd be a little bit more worried about getting typecast. It, but there's just so much stuff out there. And I do feel that like, I feel like once people, if I, like, if I'm a stand-up comedian and I kind of like, when you're a stand-up comedian, a lot of it is sort of trading off your own personality. And like, so even if you're a stand-up comedian in this movie, you are that stand-up comedian in this movie rather than that actor playing that character in that movie. Does that make sense? It does. So like, I feel like once people meet me in person, they realize like, Oh, that's not who that person is. Well, that would is. be insane because like, it makes me wonder, how, how did you nail Jonah? Like, when did you just study jerks? But no, I but just, I, I don't know, man. I, I, some of your answers in other interviews that I've read about Jonah are so good because you're like, it's not as simple as him just being an. Yeah. There's this thing that like, I always wanted to like, and that goes back to just like all the stuff. Like, even though like it, that goes back to like the first class that I ever had in college when I was in acting class, like find, like finding, like finding empathy for characters, like no character that's doing a bad thing thinks they're a bad person they think they're doing the right thing they think they're doing the right thing for them and if you try to just be like oh this is a bad person it's gonna be super one-dimensional and so there's that that like yeah he's like the worst dude but he's he's been given a job and his job is to like deliver messages from the white house and he takes that very seriously so, especially the first season you just i like, mean like hey, it's everybody just, check it out check my this badge. out like i mean it's so <laughs> transparent and it's so naked like the this need for validation and then so if you build off that like this is a person who needs a lot of validation and that comes from like an emptiness that if you really dug into it would be super sad yeah, you but actually you feel more sad for me than you are upset with yes me. and i and this has been a thing that i've always tried once i sort of found my feet like i would like once i sort of found my feet on the show and and i and for me i feel like that's sort of somewhere in season three where like when i like i went back and watched all recently before our last before we started filming the last season I, like somewhere in season three, I'm sort of like, okay, I feel like I found my feet in this whole thing. It's like I could see myself pushing jokes in the first season that had I been a little bit. Do you cringe a little bit? A little bit. Man, there are moments that's, where that's like a mind blowing thing. It man. really, I, I'm like, man, you pushed that too hard. That joke would be so much funnier if you had just, if you had stepped off the gas like 30%. Yeah, but it's impossible to be as good in season one as you will be in season three. It's just, yeah. It's just, it is. And I just, I like, I see sort of like the green stuff and I see like sort of my nerves. Especially with the vets in that, in those scenes. Like yes. Some of those people have been doing this for. Yeah. But like, you know, they're great. Like I did not have the kind of experience they did and they welcomed me in with open arms and made me a valuable part of that thing. And I feel like that's the only reason that I've had success on that show is because we had the kind of ensemble that allowed me to be like, I'm very unsure of this. I'm going to try my best. And they were like, great. And and also like so I'm not super worried about the typecast thing just because there is so much out there. And do you want to talk a little bit about what's been announced? I mean, it's out there that. Oh, like your new deal. You're in development. Oh, yeah. So, like, I mean, I, I, so I, I pitched and sold a show to HBO that I'm, I'm working. Did you talk in the pitch? I did. (laughs) I did so much. It was really funny, even though, like, I was there with this other guy and they were like, Tim, we know you from, we're so excited for your next thing. And then I let this other dude talk for like 45 minutes and I just got up and left. The so I like I, just to be fair. I was not actually Timothy Simon's level in in on my side of the creative. So anyway, you were Timothy good, Simon's level in my heart. Though. Right, right. It'll be a, it'll be a funny story. It will be. Yeah. yeah. The so, but like also like I feel like maybe if 
maybe if arm doesn't switch everything up and arm doesn't start moving away like whenever things started feeling too familiar or like we had seen them before arm would be like arm would get bored with it and so like i feel like if we were still in like season six and i'm still like coming into the eisenhower office like saying the big dumb thing when i walk in the room probably yeah but they, the show has allowed me to do so many different things in sort of so many different circumstances and in so many different level, like status levels that whenever it got stale, it would just move away from that thing. Like still the same guy, but just doing different stuff, you know? So you're going to, in this new show that you pitched yeah. and HBO picked up, now they picked up the entire season or just no, the no, pilot? no, just they just bought a pilot script. <laughs> you just invited me to be like, I don't ever, don't, I don't want HBO to think that I said that yes, the season's been picked up. Yeah. Um, but you play a guy who helps with assisted suicide yeah. whose life is a mess. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So, so how does, what's the origin of like, okay, I've got this idea in my head. Let me, let me get, is it 30 minutes? Yeah. It's, all right. So let me, let me get some pages down here. Like how did that, that happened because I was meeting with like, so when we found out because we had this long gap in between season six and season seven, we found out. Not only that, that season seven was going to be our last one, we also found out that, um, that, uh, uh, that we were going to be taking, this was weeks later, but we found out, of course, that like Julie were going to be taking a long hiatus because Julia had been diagnosed with breast cancer and had to go into treatment. And so those two things, like the first thing was realizing that the show was going to end, which of course I had contemplated before, but had never really <laughs> like never like really let it sink in that someday this thing was going to end. Cause I never really wanted it to. And then all of a sudden having almost a full year to try to figure out what the next thing was going to be. It was this thing of like, well, okay, well, what is it going to be? Cause I had kicked around some ideas before, not this one specifically. And then the agency that I'm with set me up with a bunch of writers that they worked with. And I, we tried to figure out like if I had a good feeling from one of them or if we got along and I, and they were all amazing, like really talented, fantastic people. And, but there was this one, uh, there's this one guy, Will Graham, this woman, uh, 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 Haley, and we just vibed immediately. And I think because of my background, I've always been into really dark comedies. This idea came up, uh, sort of naturally kind of came up in the conversation we were having. And as soon as Will said, he's like, you know, what about this? As soon as he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's it. And this was the first writer meeting that I had been in. And I was like, I'm not going to like I'm not getting married uh, to anybody in the first thing. Um and as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, man, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. We've got me so excited immediately. And I and like days and weeks later, and I've kept in touch with the other. I'm not saying this to be like, oh, I had all these other meetings that didn't matter. Like all of them I would work with again. They were all incredibly talented people. But I kept being sucked into this idea. And just like, how do I make that funny? Like, how do I actually make that like laugh out loud funny? It's I'm really, trying. It's such a cool concept that he's really good at this assisted suicide thing and uh, yeah everything, which is not a total i mean it's it's higher stakes but it's like it's not a complete deviation from people that are out there trying to help people yeah right. no it really isn't i mean like you know we have a life coach segment coming up here soon where we're just going to start helping dudes out oh that's right i'm really excited about that we're going to start so, like, that by the way next week so one guy went to vegas one of our guys that we're going to help yeah but he's like a big time guy he's like nah i'm be in vegas i'm too busy this weekend he may not i may need help from him could be the other way around. We'll see. You absolutely are going to. You're going to be like, oh, man, let, just let me follow you to Vegas and figure out what you do. Like, so, yeah, the stakes of, I mean, like, and especially, like, as I started doing a lot of research of it, like, a lot of research on it, like, 
there's so much there. And I think I ultimately want the show to be a lot, not, not so death focused. Not, it's not just going to be like, Oh, a person's going to die every week. Um, it's really, it's much more about trying to, trying to keep a hold, trying to keep your life together, even though, and, and being upset about maybe some petty stuff, even though death is ever present. You know what I mean? So going to go ahead and try to make that funny. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I mean, I, I imagine, I imagine you will, but just thinking it out is like, man, if you guys nail this, it's going to be hilarious. I hope so. I hope so. Did you have sports stuff that I didn't get to that you were dying to share? Or did you, were you afraid that we were going to do, do the, do the Red Sox have enough bullpen depth? Like, no, you, I think I, I actually was kind of excited. Did this go that, the way you thought we were going to do it? Totally no, wrong? no, it absolutely right. did. I have, no, I just think, I always think it'd be really, I just always think it'd be really funny if I tried to answer some, so like with like as somebody who like generally follows sports and knows about two names of people on every team for if somebody asked me like a real serious sports question. So do you do the celebrity thing where like when the Pats are in the Super Bowl, you're annoying and you tell people like how sweet it is and then but you're every Sunday you're not there at 10 a.m.? Uh, no, I think I'm pretty I th- I do think I'm pretty honest about my sports fandom. I are think they all when- mass teams. All mass teams, I cheer, I cheer for the Bears because that one you pick up immediately. Like I moved to Chicago within five minutes and this was when they were terrible. Um, I think the first year that I was there, I think they went three and 13, but I will not deny that when Lovey Smith got hired and he was like, we we're going to beat Green Bay. I was like, that's my man. Like I, I had only been in Chicago maybe two years when he, but like I immediately felt a, like a kinship and a connection with that team. Um, but like I, I am somebody that like, I follow the Celtics as closely as I can, mostly because my friends from back home, like we have sort of did like. Did you play a, basketball growing up? I did, but I was terrible at it. I was just the tallest guy in a small town. You just town. get asked that all the time. You just, right? yeah. I'm going to do all the bad interview prep now that I'm in my Yeah, list. just like run like, down the list. Like, are you um, actually a d- <laughs> 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 do, do you really, do you know the president? Right. Like, did you ever meet Seinfeld? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, uh, uh, you're tall. Do people ever tell you that you're tall? Uh, yeah. Um, hey, isn't that funny how much you make fun of that other political party? The other? That's, that's the great one. That's the beauty. The, all the politicians that think you're making fun of everybody else except for Every, them. and that is across the board. Every single politician but them. And just think how amazing they are. They not only have provided content for every late night show, like as much as I know some of your political beliefs, and I don't know what you know of mine, but I, I think like if Trump's gone whenever that is all these talk show hosts like oh now you actually have to start writing again. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so there as is much a- as you guys all complain about him you've made your life easier and i almost think you probably have you don't have enough room you could do 60 minutes on veep i mean the beats would be so fast for that long of a show but i, I think for the late night guys like they they will they probably are given too much material you're right like but for us i think it has actually had the like the the like the converse effect no what what word am i looking for the inverse effect yeah where it i don't think it could be worse for us because our show is based around a like a a world in which some the things that you say publicly have a political cost (laughs) and all of a sudden that's been proven not to be true so like the whole basis of our show is wow what if she said this bad thing and we're like oh no (laughs) Yeah, right. But now it doesn't seem, yeah, you keep thinking like, oh, this is going to be the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, no. No, wow. Uh, There's like that Twitter joke. Wow, I'd like to see how he's going to get out of the, oh, very easily. Oh, he (laughs) got his way out of that one pretty easily. What, what, uh, 
I guess I'm trying to think of the best way to finish this thing up. How hard is it going to be walking away from seven years of this thing? It was really hard. Uh, we, I, I think, right. it, I mean, I next look, it's over now, but I guess I, you know, in our eyes from the outside, we feel like it's not over yet. Yeah. You, it is over. You're right. Yeah. For, 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 I feel like we're coming up on like the celebration of it. We're coming up on like the premiere party yeah. and everybody's seeing it. We've already kind of done our morning of it. Like we, like the, and that was all done sort of a lot throughout the season, but very acutely in like the last two weeks of shooting. Like everybody was just crying all the time. Just, wow. it was, yeah, it's a real, and like, and Clea Duval, who came onto our show when we moved back to LA after when Dave took the show over, she came on in the first couple episodes and has been with us ever since and has become a really good friend of mine. She said this thing on like, on her way out, like, and nobody wanted to let it go. We shot the last scene and we all hung out on the stage for like 45 minutes and then everybody kind of migrated to the writer's room and just, we were having drinks because nobody wanted to let it go. It was really late at night. And finally, like Clea was, Clea was going to leave and she said this thing that I had never thought about it in these circumstances before, but she was like, one of the most amazing things about this was that everybody knew how good they had it the whole time and nobody ever lost sight of that. That's almost impossible. It's almost impossible, but we managed to pull it off. And so that's the thing is that we kind of left being like, there's nothing more we could have done. You know what I mean? So like, it was a really amazing and very emotional last couple of weeks because it's been it's been eight years, you know. It's been like eight years that we've been doing it, seven seasons in eight years, and it's really hard to walk away from this group of people being together. It was the right time, but it was really it was really hard those last couple of weeks. And think about this: you're leaving the time you still have your looks. So, oh yeah, I mean, oh just like some a of the glow. other cast, I'm. Mm. Oh, God. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to name any names. But no, absolutely. I think you're still kind of in your. Uh, but Tony has also really let himself go. Like I'm, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I've still got this childlike glow about. I know. Me. There's a real aura to you. That, yeah, that I'm not sure. <laughs> Timothy Simon, Veep, March 31st, season seven premiere, the final season. I'm so glad that I know how busy you are, man, and I'm just glad this finally worked out. I yeah, man, this is really fun. Talk about. It. Well, hopefully we'll do it again. Right? Absolutely. Before we say goodbye to everybody here. um, do we want to follow you on Twitter, by the way? Do you want to throw out a handle or anything like that with your upcoming stuff so people can, you know, pay attention and keep, oh, keep yeah, sure. the HBO show and all that stuff? Um, uh, I'm at Timothy C. Simons on both Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. And check out his mixtape. All right. Uh, the last thing I want to say to you here before you rate, review, and subscribe to the Rosillo Show, the Rosillo Show pod. That's all right. That's not even a pickup. Um, did you know this? That the average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18%. That's APR. Have you looked at your interest rates lately? You probably haven't, right? Especially if you're younger. My audience is younger. I know the deal. You're like, oh, yeah, these credit cards, these are sweet. Um, but then guess what? The problems don't go away. Just because they haven't sent you a bill doesn't mean the bill doesn't exist. That happened to me once when I was younger. I was like, whatever. You're not going to bill me. That's not my problem. Yes, it is. So if you get into those kind of problems, um, you can refinance your high interest credit card balances. You can do some credit card consolidation. And this is all from Lightstream. They have rates as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. The rate is fixed. It's never going to go up. You can get a loan from 5000 to 100000 and there are no fees. So when you really look at some of those rates, depending on how you qualify or where you're at, these rates are lower than the other consolidation stuff, if that's what you need to do. Uh, you can get your money as soon as the day you apply. And when you have good credit, you deserve great service and low-interest fixed-rate loans from Lightstream. That's lending uncomplicated. 
Want to save even more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That is lightstream, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Russillo. Subject to credit approval. Rates include a 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Russillo for more information. Headed uh, out at town next week for a little bit, but we'll be back early in the week. And sorry, Saruti, you didn't get to talk on this one a lot.